Welcome everyone to another Drink While You Think. Let's get the screen here together so you can see both of us. I am your host, Kenji. This is my co-host, Matthew May, who I'm not even going to ask him about who our sponsors are because there are none. Um, But I sponsored Matthew a tailgate last night, I guess, in certain regards. If you're apparently you provide beer for something, do you sponsor it? That is. The tailgate last night was brought to you by KK Brewing and his uh, fat tire amber ale uh, replica. So that was pretty good, man. Do you I thought you name? did a good job. I thought it was a name? good. Do you remember the name of the ale? Um, I'm trying to block out most everything from last night, and we'll I might have. We're going to talk out. about that a little bit. You don't remember the name of the? It was something about not not stinking, but it is. It's more eloquent. Tell tell me the name. Tell everybody the name. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up. Even better. Um, it was the early exit ale. Early exit ale. And that's exactly, unfortunately, what I did what last we, night. What you had to do from the Falcons game is get out of there early. Um, let's let's while we we better have a beer while we're talking about this. Yeah, um, uh, I'm gonna need that too. What what do you got? I've got the Sycamore. I think it's from Southern Girl or the Southern Girl from Sycamore. One of the two. Okay. Blondale. Okay. Sixteen ounce. You got a bit. You got a tall one there. That's good. It's got some okay. extra. Well, it was a rough night last night. It was. It was. It was a very rough night. Um, what are you drinking? I'm drinking. This is West Six Brewing. That's that one for out of Kentucky again. It's their Penny Row Pale Ale. This is the one I had a couple of weeks ago. That was the uh, the Porter, Pant Forward Porter that they made. Which uh, so I'm going to try their their nice looking Pale Ale. Uh, cheers to you, dude. Cheers, man. Did we get the cheers last night. Maybe a few times. Um, Maybe. We definitely did it before we went in. So I can't remember what book it's from. One of the famous classics, maybe it was Charles Dickens. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times or whatever. It was the best of times until about 8.30 last night. Cause we had a great group of really good friends who came by our tailgate. That made me really happy. That was fun. Yeah, we had, we had, Nicole Davis, we had Scott Scarano, we had Emmanuel Aguilar, we had Dave Emmerman. Like we had a bunch of, I mean, not just in-towners, we had some out-of-towners and we had a lot of friends, just other friends not outside the accounting community pop pop by and have some fajitas and queso. It was pretty, pretty and the early exit ale. So it was good. It was, it was really good. There's there's a there's a little bit of a quick, you know, picture of everybody. Whoops. Sorry. Just oh, yeah. There it is. Look at that. That's who made it into the stadium. You can see JW too. On to say JW and Nicole there and, and, and Dave Emmerman and, and Scarano had already left to head over to Marcus's place. But um, yeah. anyway, it was, that part was really fun. It was good. We always like hosting. It was a nice night. Um, what, what happens inside that stadium? We're not going to talk about it. You can't talk about it, can you? No, I'm, I'm really having a hard time. That's pretty I mean, it bad. was a bad loss for those. Whenever you end up viewing this, you can go back and look at, look up, or just Google what are some of the worst NFL games ever. And likely underneath that will be the November seventeenth game from the Atlanta Falcons against the New England Patriots. Maybe the eighteenth. I think yesterday it was, it was the eighteenth. You're right. It was the eighteenth. Um, it was it was rough. It was a we got shut out. 
and it was awful in your own building. Yep. On the heels of a 43-3 drubbing, we now have been outscored this season by 110 points. Do you see the other teams that have been outscored by that much? Are all yes. like, Detroit, eight, the yeah. Jets, and the Texans. That's it. Yeah. That's the list. And us. And Not even the Jags, who we got next week. So, it's anyway. It was it was brutal. And Let's talk about something else. I hope you brought a good topic at least. That's oh, not. We're going to talk all about uh, breaking down all the things going on with the, the Falcons' offensive line. Now I'm not going to do that to you. That's just not very nice. Uh, oh, you know what? Um, I will say this one thing. I didn't realize going into the game that Hayden Hurst was also out. Yeah, he was out, and, and, and he's on IR now. Oh, I'm like, okay, so we got Ridley out, Hayden Hurst out, and Anderson out. And Patterson out. So, like, Hayden Hurst was a first-round draft pick. So it was Rid, right? And I think Patterson might have been back in the day. So we got three first-rounders out. That was He's awful. playing like a first-rounder these days. We needed him, man. It was just – We needed anybody. Anybody. Anyways. I was about ready to call you to suit up, Matthew. You were up there being animated as always, yelling and screaming, and we, we needed you to go down on the field. Um, anyway. I, I was ready, Coach. Put me in. You were ready. All right, I'll see if you're ready for this. Um, I. I Topic I wanted to kind of discuss. I liked how last time we talked about kind of sales. Um, I've had people tell me like, hey, talk more about the weird stuff you guys do at Acuity or the way you guys think about things for really, I think, for the benefit of other firms. Um, And so I wanted to kind of talk about, I was going to call it just the the pod discussion, but actually I thought about it more. I thought about it more. And I'm like, oh, I think it's better to talk through this as more the the evolution of like staffing engagements, like, right. What, what, how do you, how have we, how do we see other people staff engagements at various sizes of your organization? And I kind of thought about it in three ways, right. Um, There's certainly who's delivering, right. Who's doing the work, who's delivering it. There's the, who's communicating with the client about things. It could be about things on the engagement. It could be about broader things that you're doing in your practice and firm, pricing changes, new products, new service, whatever. And then the third piece is who's checking the work, right? So delivery, communication, who's overseeing or who's kind of checking or quality controlling the work. And so I thought it'd be interesting to kind of maybe talk about this because I had a conversation this week with a friend who um, actually recently bought a firm and they were in the pod stage and we'll get to that one of where I think you and I have a hypothesis about these pods and, yep. he, thought, and he thought it was interesting. So I guess the, the way that everybody starts is you got to skip right over this kind of Matthew, because, um, but you understand this when you're start, like you do all of the work, like initially it's like, all right, I'm going to get the thing going. I'm going to do the work. I got to manage all communication to the client, like everything. Questions about the bill, you know, their bill, questions about how does gusto work, questions about everything. And then you're kind of doing a little bit of your own checking of the work. I mean, right? That's just the way it works. Right. That probably, and then you hire your first couple people. So you're probably then what? You're, let's just say this is the, we'll call this up to a couple hundred thousand dollar, you know, half million dollar mark. Half million, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Half million mark. And I think the move that people make, there is like, oh, I need someone else to help me deliver the work, right? Um, 
I think at that point, well, I can't remember if, if, if when we did that, we were just kind of put everybody responsible for also doing the work to communicate to clients. Like, Hey, go tell the client that like, we're no longer using this software. We're using this one. We probably did a little bit of that, or maybe occasionally we would, an email from me or the founder would be like, Oh, Hey everybody. Cause you I mean, your client list was like that long. So you can just kind of email blast everybody and just tell them, Hey, effective this date, we're changing over pricing for the way we do QuickBooks. Right. Right. And I think quality control is still kind of non-existent. Like really anybody checking the work, honestly. Um, I think this was interesting. This is, how, this is how we did it or how people should do it. I, I think it's a, a bit of both. <laughs> it would be, so it would be good to say, okay, if we were to go back and redo it, because there's some of these things we skipped over, right? There's some things that like, I, so this is the one I think that's interesting. Um, the pod concept of working of where I think you and I have seen this thing, this concept kind of emerge at what the million to 2 million, maybe million to $5 million range in that yeah, firms. one to two, one to two, I think more. You want to describe kind of for those who may not know, like what what's the pod, like how the pods work. Yeah, this is kind of like a typical. Well, I don't know. It's a, it's a little different than the public accounting structure, but a pod might be um, five bookkeepers and then an accounting manager that 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 can coach them, ask questions, uh, answer questions. They may even escalate tax return stuff to them. They might be a tax preparer. Yeah. Um, and do a bunch of the tax work, but all they only, no matter how many people are at the firm, they only use those five. It's like a pod or a team that all works together all the time, almost like a separate firm inside of the firm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is um, very appealing at times because it takes the load off of the, the owner, the firm owner. Um, it gives, when you start scaling and adding a few more people, it gives, I think, teams more cohesion and kind of can bond them like a bit better. Like they know how each other's work style is all that. Um, and that thing I think tends to kind of emerge at around a million bucks or so in revenues as a firm. And then maybe for the next couple million. Um, and I think the downside of it that we, so we never did it. The candidly, we talked about it a million times. We actually, we're kind of weird as a kid. We skipped over this. Like we just kind of jumped over this and didn't really do it. We talked about it a bunch, but I think we were always concerned that, well, actually, we were doing too many other weird things at the time, probably never even thought about it. And then by the time we got past that, the concern we had was like, well, you're kind of risk if you lose that pod leader, whatever you wanted to call them, an account manager, there's a big book of business right there underneath that person that's kind of at risk, right? I think we were like, ooh, that's a little bit, that, that was a challenge. Well, it's kind of like if any member of the pod leaves, right? Yeah, like a bookkeeper or the pod leader, then everybody in that pod just is blown up, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and there's a couple. I mean, I, my theory is there's a couple really big problems with pods. Yeah. Um, one is the pods then do it their own way. They don't that's do the it. Other yeah, that's they don't the do it the way the firm does necessarily. Like each pod can kind of take over their own. They like almost become a separate firm. Then also, like if one of the people leaves, like everybody else like fills in and, 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 and all gets hit just across that pod. Yeah, yeah. I think the other business 
structure issue it creates is it creates an artificial barrier to growth in the founder's head because every time he thinks he has to grow, he has to grow by a pod. And a lot of these people are fixed income people, like like they're paying salaries. So instead of adding one person, he has to add six to make the economics work. Yeah. And that's a bigger step cost. And I think even though people can grow gradually, I think it's enough to where I think enough people see it as a, like, I think that inhibits growth because you have two pods and then you're just a two pod firm. And it just feels like such a commitment to add a third pod that you just never grow. Even if you have the work and you just see people passing on work left and right in that structure to me. I think so too. I, I think there's some, so I think people doing it their own ways, it's, the growth, the steps are chunkier. Like it's a big commitment there. Like you talked about there too. And then some of that work is more of a block of it's at risk. It does, I think, lighten the administrative burden and load off of a benefit off the firm owner. I think also there's opportunity. You're kind of planting and seeding some, at least the other levels that allow people to grow and try out a little their hand at kind of management a little bit, which is going to be interesting. So I think it's got a place um, for the right firms. I think at the right size, um, we just never kind of did it. And I don't know that we were super intentional about it. By the time we were kind of kicking it around, I think we were at a point where we're like, that doesn't make sense. We we jumped, I, I think in that role as well too, that pod leader is the one who's kind of doing the communication to clients and doing some of that quality control work. And then you've got the pod members who are delivering the work. We skipped over that and went right to um, more of a concept of where it's a team to where it's a little flatter, but you had a team lead who in some cases with us now, I guess now in all cases, but a little bit of a player coach at one point. And so when we say player coach, we mean they're kind of doing some of the work, but also some other times protected the lead. We moved away from that. Different than the pod leaders is that they were doing the same work as the people that were under them in the org chart for different clients. So they weren't going back and reviewing work. They were, they had a separate, it was as if they were a member of the pod and the leader of the pod. Correct. Yeah. So that just to be clear, like that's a good, that's a good distinction because that's how we started by doing it. And, you know, we found that naturally there were some people who were like, they loved that. They loved the team meetings. They wanted to communicate with everybody, make sure they had, a you know, once a week, we're kind of talking about things and it was fairly informal, but it was a good communication vehicle there. And that person also had a lot of understanding of the work the team members were doing because they were kind of doing it as well, but on a lighter scale. Yep. Um, we then kind of moved from that level to where we said, okay, it's time to get where those team leads, essentially you're leading and looking over a team to where that had to be a non-billable role was to step out of the client requirements to where you've got all these members of a team and you've got kind of a team leader. Um, And what's interesting about when we did that, that delivery stayed the same with the team members a lot of the communication was handled by the team leader helping figure some of that out. But then the quality control, you know, we kind of jumped over to a separate distinct kind of group or team who was doing QA uh, right. independently, a QA function and team there. 
And so I think that was, we were, you know, we were north of 5 million at the time, started getting specialized and said, let's break out communication separately from delivery separately from quality control separately and have those all as separate functions. Like those had to all be in different places. And some of them weren't even like reporting managers up to like, oh, it's not that your manager is not doing QC on you. That's a whole separate function that's just kind of being applied toward the entire customer base and to all the team members. Um, that seemed to me like we were doing it at the right time. It's still some of our work is like that today. Um, you know, as you kind of get closer to 10 million in revenue, I think that makes, makes some sense. Um, I guess you don't have that issue of where I think people are, you're, you're, you're running the team teams are different, like in pods, they could be different. But I think the thing we're finding is those teams can scale and grow. Like our controller team right now is really grown and we've got an individual trying to run that. That's just a lot of people. Like you can find out that like, even when you're not billable, both teams can get big and you're like, how do you, how are you managing 50 people and their schedules and like helping them through issues and things. Right. So um, there's kind of a, we're kind of going through some things there to figure out the best way to give you know, I don't know if you'd consider that a, it's, it's an entire team, but like a 50 person pod almost, but that's been an interesting spot right now. It feels like that's going to work for us for maybe the, for a while, but I don't know how long. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we have started putting people under those people to assist with that. Right. So we have kind of right. some, some ops managers that help do some kind of setting expectations and, and stuff that roll up to the team leads that, that support individual teams. And we have some team advocates that kind of do the more of the, um, you know, one-on-one stuff and, and make sure everybody's feeling okay and doing stuff. And um, I, I haven't talked to you about this um, in our in EO forum. Um, we were talking about this and, and one of the recommendations that some of them had, they said they've seen some professional services use HR business managers that are assigned to those groups. So it's not uncommon to see a, like a designated HR business manager to a team lead, you know? So it was really kind of an interesting um, scope and it kind of resonates with some of the stuff that I hear kind of feedback wise coming out of there that we're kind of at 150 people, like you, you see all the issues. Like you, I mean, there's everything you read on the news you see. You know, there's car wrecks, there's people getting COVID, there's people dying, there's people with family members who are sick, there's people getting cancer, there's people like, there's all the things that you can read in the news, like in that, uh, uh, once you go over 100 people. Um, and uh, I think um, that was interesting, because I think HR it is interesting. HR is a big piece there that I you, think you got that missing. little organized little, I mean, in some cases, we have a team that's 50 people on it, you know, right. And where that's way bigger than we were, you know, when you joined up, right. So it was, it was five times the size. I mean, we were, I mean, it was a, it's a lot bigger and that's its own almost organization in applying specific HR help. Cause we've, we thought not everything when you're, when you're helping support team members, sometimes it's technical support. Sometimes it's just um, communication. Like what's the organization doing, or I have some feedback. How do I move that? Or just how are you helping the team to your point of yeah. like, let's just, oh, you're going through a tough time now. Can we alter your schedule? Do we need to get you some resources to help with an illness 
or something going on in your family life or whatever it might be. Because life happens, right? It's just like, a ton of stuff going on there. So I think that's um, that's interesting. So look, it, in this conversation I was having, um, um, what I want to do, and I, I need, it would be actually fun to get on here. I don't know, you've, have you ever met Chad Davis over at Live CA? I don't think you've met Chad. Um, I've heard the name several times. Yeah, I think, great, I think great. I may have, Super. I think What's that? I've, I've either met him or I've heard him talk or something. I mean, just, a, I mean, unbelievable. If you want to see a really emergent, emergent um, front running practice, I mean, Chad, uh, what Live CA does up in Canada is pretty incredible. Um, and I was talking this week about this friend was telling me about Chad, where he's gone. And I think Chad's, I think their firm is probably larger than we are. Um, they, they go the route of where they go specialization even further. And I guess what we're talking about is you, as you go up, you're getting less general, you're being more specialized to where, hey, don't make the accounting team members deal with communication issues, also deal with like, you know, having to quality control their work. Let them just do the work. Chad's team's gone even further to where they're doing it, where the specific functions, hey, I'm just going to do payroll. I'm just going to do AP. We've talked about this before. Right. And they're doing that to where they're giving team members like they're getting really specialized, like, hey, here's the one function you do over and over. What are your thoughts about that? Do you think that's a strategy for even growth even further? Or what what pros or cons do you see with breaking like a bookkeeper or a controller role down into more specific roles? And I, and I should say real quick, I haven't talked to Chad about all this. So I don't if I'm getting it wrong, apologies, live CA team. But in that hyper specialization, just making shit up and telling people you do stuff. That's right. That's right. Um, no, I think I think there's definitely a place there. I already see us moving there, right? I already see us moving. You know, we've been talking about this for a long time. Like we're maybe add-ons is that in our world, add-ons like invoicing, bill pay, payrolls handled by a team in particular, um, and then uh, categorization might be held by a different team. But um, you know, just with um, like we have a great payroll person, right? We have a great p- payroll person that keeps the wheels on all of our weekly and biweekly payrolls because everything, the semi-monthly and monthly was like, we can manage that with the bookkeeping team because we yeah, great job. We, yeah. we built the SLAs around it. So John and, and, and having a dedicated payroll person, like I've been talking to Lisa about like, oh, he's also, if he's good at weekly and bi-weekly stuff, he can also be backfill for bill pay, right? Yeah. Like you can think of things that are analogous. You run at like, certain rhythms, right? Consistent rhythms. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think we'll probably go more towards, you know, things that are needed weekly and biweekly. Like that'll be a team. And then that's the easiest. That's the most important thing to pull off our cloud accounting team, right? Is, is to pull off the stuff that interrupts the SLAs for yeah. their just getting the reports out. And if a payroll period kind of, is on the fifth of the month, like that, that they need backfill, right? They need some other team to do that because they're closing the books. Right. So I think that's probably more logical use of teams. I think as we see it, or as I see it, I'm hoping we get there to where we can build out some teams with a little bit more specialization. I'm not sure I'm ready to go down to the product level for specialization. Yeah. It's I, I, although we already do that for collections. 
Like yeah, we use a separate team. We are we are use a separate internal team for collections. I, I think to me the the thing I'd want to make sure you could answer is because I think this would be demanded of firms would be what's my growth path look like? I think to some people, accounting professionals may be like, well, tell me I'm not going to do just accounts payable you know, forever, right? They need to see a path there. And so I think as long as you can build a path, sometimes specialization, it used to always make me afraid um, of like, oh, if you specialize in something for too long, like you just get super, super narrow. And I, and I know niching is popular and all that, but like, I don't know, like when I'm, you're growing in your career, you want to have options, like, right? I always feel like I want to have options to go and try different things. I don't want to be like, oh man, I went down this channel for so long, like, shoot, like that's all I can do. So I think as long as you can provide those like ways to say, hey, no, we're going to come in and do this and maybe rotate through other areas. That could be interesting. Um, but- you know, I always, when you talk about that, like I always think of this um, SDR company that we, we've met and they said they always had all their SDRs do two thirds of their time to one thing and one third to the other thing. So they like two thirds of your time can be in your core discipline. And then one third, you have this, doing other stuff, exploring, growing, whatever, in other disciplines. I could see that more like we're like, like an ideal world is somebody like, uh, like John, like with two thirds of his time is on weekly and bi-weekly payroll. And then a third is on other things that are complementary. you know, that he could also grow and do different stuff if he wanted to, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, so the uh, context there that, yeah, what Matthew's saying is SDRs are sales development reps and, uh, they typically work in pretty focused niches of like, hey, I'm going to go focus and sell or prospect to specific types of clients. And so Matthew's point, that's a very repetitive job and being able to break that up into chunks to say, you don't always have to focus just on a very narrow niche. Like let's do that for a bit and get good at, but also let some experimentation happen that's built in a natural schedule. So you get to breathe a little bit and see some different things. I think you have to build in those kind of like, all right, bigger, broader perspectives. Um, otherwise it just is treating people too much like a robotic side of it. So I think I see in the future as well too, I could see, let's say a firm gets over like 20 million, starts getting north of that. I don't know if it's that far out, but I also see verticalizations starting to specialize. That would start pulling people into different, teams as well. Like all of a sudden you'd have, um, I don't know if it'd be a fully different group of, of controllers or bookkeepers, but that you start identifying by, Hey, specific verticals that you serve within a firm. Cause as you, that firm gets larger, there's likely going to be a couple different verticals you're serving. Sometimes we saw that in public accounting where you had a little bit of a cross-functional type of reporting. Yeah. But even then I still, I kind of believe in that two thirds, one third yeah. concept. Where like if you're gonna have a vertical expertise, sure, two thirds of your time can be in that vertical, but a third of the time, let's let's let you do some other things. Let's let you see the SaaS clients. Let's let you see the, um, you know, do some other stuff. Uh, the pro serve marketing service firms, you know. Um, so you're talking to some creatives every once in a while, you know, instead of right. just something to break it up, um, right? Have a little something bit. to break up. Like if you're, you know, kind of cruising on ecom, like you have some other, um, you know, avenues to to go out there. So yeah, I agree. That's I agree. interesting. Um, so last thing I'll mention before we rate some beers is um, 
I think it's always worth it. So again, to summarize this, you get more specialized as you scale and you grow. Um, just think about those specializations at different levels. And anyone ever wanted to talk with us more specifically about where those happen and how those roles look, you're welcome to reach out to Matthew or myself and just we'll happily talk to any firm owner about it, our experiences. Um, beyond that, like another thing that you and I have discussed about in the future, especially around more transactional accounting, and I think this is a, a, around the thesis of if the technology continues to improve at the pace it has been, which I think is a very good bet, whether you want to call it Moore's Law or just the way that technology continues to grow, it's like, then what does bookkeeping look like or lower level transactional accounting? And you and I have talked about the concept of, oh, does the evolution of staffing engagement look entirely different? Does it become like a managed service model? So give, I mean, I'll, I'll, let, I'll pump that over to you, like, and explain, like, the time that we went to a managed service conference to check this out because you and I were like, oh, what if it really, the technology really gets good? What does the work structure change like? So I'll, I'll let you kind of talk about that. Well, I mean, I think it's already, we're already seeing that, right? We're already seeing like our ops managers are having to spend an inordinate amount of time making sure banks stay connected, making sure Gusto and Zero talk to each other, making sure, and Gusto is a bad example, but that one doesn't go down as much. But the banks is a good example, making sure if there's a change at Expensify that that's still like that settings changed on all the clients that are syncing to QuickBooks online. So I think, I think we definitely, I think we've already done it. Actually, we've already kind of moved that way because that's not on the bookkeeping team anymore. If you think about it, that should be on the ops managers. So we kind of have created this thing and it was five years ago we were at that conference going oh my gosh like this is so close to what i like we're about 10 years behind it services where it's just like you just got to make sure everything talks and email gets provisioned and slack gets provisioned and all that kind of stuff and that's the same thing we're seeing with gusto is almost a self-serve tool now for some people right like if you have only salaried employees it's just like you set it up once and it's gone you if you're on auto pay you're just like what what is what are we doing other than making sure everything links and then if somebody gets added or dropped or whatever Absolutely. like it's it's crazy right it's 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 really becoming more of a managed service payroll is probably the best example in accounting of how like we used to have payroll departments places <laughs> yeah large payroll departments payroll departments you know yeah. and now huge. and now you got founders self serving the tool and with the checklist on which states they need to sign up for it, like and, and the number to call to get your number and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, just, I would I would I would really implore um accountants to think that way, especially I mean just think that way that account it that we're talking about the data, the data, the transactions, the data moving the way it should move, right? The way that the processes were built. Just like back in the day when you were taught accounting, your accounting staff knew that when this particular cash receipt came in, it got applied to this invoice in this way. Those are all done through rules, which are now done through technology. And so it's about that data is going to follow the path of the technology. Someone, though, has to make sure that plumbing is done correctly. So the data is just going to follow the rules through the different APIs, through the different and, and that's when we talk about managed services of like, okay, if that makes sense, because accounting 
is a very rule-based structured data type of environment, you need someone who just understands the tools, like understands the plumbing. Okay, great. I need to make sure that this connection works or there's a leak here and this particular API, I got to go back and fix it for them. So I think that's our concept around managed services and accounting is that you just want to see and understand that um, those aren't perfect. They're helping eliminate a lot of manual work, but you still need someone who's an expert in how to connect these tools. Or if something changes in your environment, which guess what? It changes all the time. We have clients of ours who are constantly changing. Oh, we just changed our entire workflow system. We just changed our CRM system. We just changed the way we're doing invoicing or bill payment. Happens all the time. You need someone there helping navigate some of those changes and making sure the data continues to flow correctly. So at the end of the day, you've got useful uh, aggregate data to make decisions on. So I think that's an interesting one to think about way out in the, well, I shouldn't say way out in the future because um, you're right, it's ha- something's happening now. But how does that then alter the structure of your teams? It probably changes how you do things like quality control, how you do staffing, because your staffing hours should reduce. The quality control is probably better done through some kind of technology enabled or through some software. But we can go down a whole other path there. But it was a good conversation this week um, You know that I had. It was like, oh, this will be interesting because this has come up before. And I think it's fun thinking about the way that you deliver engagements across different sizes of your firm. Um, and then again, where things are going in the future. So we nerded out. I went to a very kind of deep accounting side of it to get you away from things like, you know. Well, you just Falcon had to come games. back there, did you? You just no, had to come back. I had to. I had, you had to. to end, you had to end on a sad note. Well, let's grade the beers so it's not that sad. Oh, my gosh. You're so sad. Oh, I did have a chicken update today. They escaped from the chicken coop today. Time out. Let me, let me close this again. We need a quick. The chicken coop update of my 11 chickens that I, that Kenji doesn't let me usually talk about. Um, six of them escaped. They, there was like a hole in the chicken wire. And I, they were like wandering in the backyard. I was like, oh, man. They escaped in the backyard. Okay. Yeah. But, but it was while I'm on a, like, I have a phone call with a pissed off client right now. And I see the chickens wandering in the backyard. So I locked the dogs in the house and I'm wandering around at the cell phone trying to get the chickens like and anybody who's ever chased a chicken. I'm I'm, I'm imagining Rocky Balboa when he was out there. So so I'm pulling a Rocky Balboa while on the phone with a pissed off customer. So, yes, we do have pissed off customers like everybody else, people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are not immune. So but that's how how long did it take to um, get them corralled? About 15 minutes, and I didn't drop the call. That was pretty good, dude. That's impressive. I didn't drop the phone or the call. So, did the client know what you were doing at the time? I don't know. He was pretty mad, so I don't know that he noticed. <laughs> so, so, why do you save the good stuff for the very end when no one's watching? That's the best. Uh, I don't know. Listening now, we have a podcast too. Oh, I didn't even realize that. That's amazing. Um, we'll awesome. maybe get. Well, maybe I'll pick up two more listeners. All right, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Rank mine. This is a it's a classic pale ale, the Penny Rao Pale Ale, um, and I like this. I think it's a good example of a pale ale. Nice color. It's good. I'm going to go a four. Um, so a little more subtle than a straight IPA. I like it. I like this uh, better than their porter. So uh, Matthew, you're going to have to give me the Sycamore Southern Girl. There it, there is. it is. This is Sycamore Brewing, the oh, Southern Girl. Sycamore I should have. I had a. 
I had a I had a beer called the Bow Girl Pilsner that I was going to break out today. We could have had both uh, beers at yeah. Uh, it's a blonde ale from Sycamore. Where is Sycamore from? Where'd you get this? It was left at the tailgate. <laughs> you just drink random. I want to see this. Oh, it's from Charlotte. Okay, from Charlotte, Carolina. Good brewing up there. Okay. I'm going to go 325. Oh. Because it's, because it's not a stout reporter. <laughs> you can only, only get like a 35 if it's not a stout reporter for me. So. Also, they only, they only missed the top ranking by a quarter of a point. So for other, these other beers category, yeah. Anyway, well, folks, we hope uh, this is being filmed the Friday before Thanksgiving. Hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, have a great Thanksgiving, everybody, and enjoy Thanksgiving. Um, we do have a podcast now on all the podcast places. So if you are sick of looking at our faces on YouTube, um, right. we'll still be on YouTube. But we will also be available for your listening pleasure and traveling pleasure uh, on most of the podcast networks. So please check us out. Subscribe, sign up, and most of all, oh, uh, rate it. Rate it. it. That'll be awesome. Leave comments. Or just heckle us, one of the two, something. That's okay. We'll we'll take, but you know, we just don't want to be ignored. Loved or hated, but you just don't want to be ignored. So cheers, everyone. Cheers.